Let me just tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to the afternoon so that's my story, and I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness, but if you do, I would say, as I have for the past nine times, that's my story, that's how I share it, and that's what brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 10. Today's hug, Chats with My Children, part one, turning points. I am Dr. Tammy West, here every week to bring you tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. So the next three episodes are super special to me because they are conversations with my three kiddos. And let me say, after, after these next three, I will begin to do a mix between conversations with other people and just plain old me. It's time for the podcast to sort of change and grow, and that's how I see it going over the next few months, and then we'll see from there. So some quick background information before I get you right into today's episode. Because you know, as a mom, I got to brag on my son. This kid has always been, I guess, what we would call a go-getter, a self-starter, driven. Um, When he was in middle school, he learned about the House Page program through a, a, a special project in a class. He researched on his own. He applied on his own. He did basically everything on his own. And if, if you don't know much about the House Page program, it's probably because it ended in 2011. But this is where kids got to go, at least in his, um, in Congress. He, he went and he lived as a junior in high school. He lived with other kids from around the world in a dorm. He went to school in the Library of Congress, and they were pages on the House floor for an entire semester. It was just life-changing. And so he, since then, like he went, then he went to college, finished high school, went to college, and he's worked on local, state, presidential elections. He's built Facebook products you use maybe every day, but you don't even know where they they come from. And he's just 30 years old. He's worked hard for everything he's ever gotten or done. So I am very proud of him, uh, not only for just his accomplishments, but for who he is as a person. So this conversation was a result of a conversation the day before we recorded, and sort of in the middle of it, he said, we should do this for your, for your podcast. We should stop this conversation right now and let's record it tomorrow and talk about turning points in life. And I said, brilliant. And that's how it happened. I will put his Instagram link in the show notes. That's how he said he, he mainly wants to be communicated with. And you're going to want to pay attention because I'm sure he is going to do even bigger things. So there you have it. Uh, the audio gets a little bit wonky in parts, so I'll work on that for future interviews. I thank you for understanding and being patient. This was very last minute. And now, on with the show. Uh, I think I, I liked the conversation we were starting to have yesterday about like what are the conditions or the uh, things that need to happen for people to make like changes in their lives. And I think like a lot of things, right, that's like, well, I guess to recap, right, we were talking about how I have made a bunch of changes in my life. Uh, and I think there were a couple moments where I realized that was really important. Uh, and then we talked about changes that you had had to make in your life a long time ago uh, and how important that moment has ended up being to the rest of your life. Uh, and I guess as I was thinking about it, uh, the rest of yesterday, I was thinking how like a lot of things, uh, these things are sort of recursive, meaning that you might 
think back on you know in years from now i might think back of, of the how like the, leaving my job was like this big turning point in my life for like a lot of reasons but then if you sort of dive in you like realize okay well going through this really intense period was this turning point after that i i had to make some changes but if you dive in more to that you know then i think i was saying to you Yesterday, there was this moment at Thanksgiving when I was like standing on the scale and realized I hadn't been paying any attention uh, to a lot of things, including my weight, which, but I don't think that was the most important thing, because I hadn't been paying attention to a lot of things that were really important and I needed to change that. Um, and so I think, I, I think that that's really, uh, thinking about that sort of recursion as to uh, sort of these big things become small things ultimately just become really kind of a moment in time is really um interesting well you said um when we talked yesterday i mean you are in the middle of a turn right now so you're in the, you're not on the other side of it you're in the middle right. of it but i wondered i was thinking last night i mean so you're 30 and i'm hmm, 54 um so i've been through several you know turns in my life but i mean can you identify like a previous turn that that you feel was a, a major point in your life you know there was and I, i'm thinking a lot about sort of physical fitness uh now because i think that's been a struggle for me for for a lot of reasons throughout my life but you know when i uh, and ultimately i think there's a lesson here because i didn't maintain it as long as i should have but when i ran the army 10 miler and then ran the uh the half marathon right after that i think w without that experience i don't think i would have like but i hadn't really connected the sort of like physical and mental dependencies before and so i think that that was uh, valuable even if inconsistently maintained for the time after that because uh, that was just like the first time i'd really said, okay, you know, I was going, I just started at Facebook. I didn't know, you know, that, that was the turn. I think it was like going from a job, uh, you know, that I had been, been in since college uh, and getting what was essentially my dream job, but also having a lot of like insecurities about, am I going to be good at this? Like, what do I need to do to do this? Uh, and I think pretty shortly after that, I remember talking to my manager who was a marathon runner, ultra marathon runner, uh, and saying, look, I want to, you know, I want to have a discipline with this sort of thing of running because I think that sort of discipline might give me the mental discipline to like make sure that I'm doing the best job that I can. Uh, and ultimately I think, uh, you know, a, I think that's true, right? Having discipline in uh, one area can give you discipline in another area. Um, but but also, like, uh, I, I think going into that job and sort of having my world um, entirely changed, that was, that was a turn in a macro sense. And then there was that thing where I said, okay, maybe I can take a little bit more control because I think like at, at Campaign Solutions uh, or at my other job, uh, you know, 
I was drinking Mountain Dew and eating goldfish for breakfast, right? Like, mm -hmm. is that bad? <laughs> uh, well, uh, when you I don't have a milkshake for dinner last night, but go ahead. Uh, well, uh, I, I mean, I think anything is fine if you're not doing it every single yeah, day. That's not a practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was doing, and I look back at the pictures from that time, and I just didn't look healthy at all. And I think, you know, you you can kind of look at like the the portraits that they shot uh, uh, of me then, and then like look at the picture of me finishing the half marathon, and I obviously looked like much more healthy. Uh, you kind of going into uh, this this next job into Facebook, I you know, tried to, to get a greater handle on that. And I ultimately did for a while, but I think then, you know, the, I guess maybe an axiom of life is that things, if you're growing, they just keep getting harder. And so then when things got harder, I focused on those things and maybe lost those lessons. So we talked yesterday about changes and turning points. And uh, you asked me a question, you know, you asked me if the mental hospital was a turning point in my life, which it was. And then right now you've just left a job of six years that by anybody's definition would be like a massively important, respected um, dream job, maybe even, and you left. And so we both started talking about these turning points in life. And one of the things that I asked you was, um, do you think that we have to hit like a rock bottom spot to make changes and to turn and do something different. And I don't remember what you told me. I mean, I don't know for me. Well, let me just, let me go ahead and say for me, that mental hospital was rock bottom. I mean, the only thing that would have been worse would have been a full on suicide attempt. Really? I mean, that's, that's about as low as you're going to get. So it was definitely rock bottom for me, but it didn't, it was a turning point, but it didn't, my life wasn't changed immediately. It's, it's still changing when it comes to mental health. So that was the point where I was like, okay, yeah, I don't want to live this way anymore. And it was, you were just a kid. I mean, you were little, so you probably don't remember anything, but it wasn't just the intense anxiety and not being able to leave the house and not being able to function in the world. But even other than that, it was the anger issues that I dealt with, the constantly being upset with people, feeling like my world wasn't the way that it needed to be, not knowing how to communicate with people not knowing how to speak up without just verbally vomiting all over people. I was either quiet or the other extreme. So I realized at that point, this is not the life that I want to lead, but then it also has been an evolution over time. So I think for me, that was definitely a rock bottom, but I don't, I mean, what do you think? Is it, do you feel like in a way, in any sense of why you've decided to leave, there was a rock bottom and what does that even mean? Well, I think I've been thinking a lot. Tell me if this is getting way too abstract, but I've been thinking a lot about uh, free will recently and um, why people do the things that they do. That's pretty core to the type of work that I do is understanding why people do the things that they do. Um, and ultimately, you know, in, in a world where there are, if you suspend disbelief for a second and you say there was no free will, then ultimately there's just some accumulation of things that happens, you know, that happens to each person in the ways that they react to those things. And then there's just this tipping point 
Um, and of course, it's more complicated than that. But I think it's a good device to think about why we do those things. I think in this case, you know, I, I had this forcing function of going through uh, this really intense election experience. Uh, mm. And then knowing that I had uh, this sabbatical coming up. So I went on a, a six week sabbatical and went traveling in South America in January. Uh, and I think there were other things, you know, intense things that were going on in my life that, uh, that, that took a lot of my attention and those things kind of ended. And I think with that combination of like intensity and quiet, uh, I, you know, I had a chance to, to sort of reflect uh, on, on those things. So what I mean to say by that is that if I had just had more intensity and not had that quiet, I very well could have reached some sort of like rock bottom. At, at, and I, I don't know if that's getting, I think it's different for everyone, you know, but it is, yeah. Uh, whatever that means. But I think things could have gotten, things could have gotten worse uh, in, in terms of like continuing to live the type of life that I didn't want to live uh, without, without a break to, to kind of stop and think of if that's the thing that I wanted. Yeah. Well, I'm going to address the elephant in the room because I can guarantee you someone's listening and you just said, and I took the sabbatical and you chose to leave a job at Facebook. Let me turn it around because it happened to me and then say what I was getting ready to say. So when I left teaching, because that was another turning point for me was I taught high school for 10 years and I knew that that was not the place for me and I chose to leave. What I heard was, must be nice. Wish I could do that. Um, I also heard things when I was teaching, like, well, not everybody gets to take the summers off. And so, you know, that they're going to, because we're, we're talking about all kinds of turning points, right? I mean, for mine, it was mental hospital, mental health, um, teaching, it was career for you right now. It's career, physical health. It's also mental health too. You've made some choices, but what would you say to the person who's like, well, not everybody can have such a great job and then choose to leave and take a sabbatical and take, cause that I hear that kind of thing all the time. And it's, it goes back, I think to what you said with free will and choice and all that stuff. But have you, has anybody actually said anything like that to you or how would you, what do you think? Well, I think I'm, was and have been like exceptionally lucky to get the opportunities that I had to 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 do that sort of thing. But I'm I, I do stop you though as your mother. You worked your behind off. So let me just say before you, you. So this is a kid who went to um, a very expensive school that we actually discouraged him because it was such an expensive school and we we're not that we don't have that kind of wealth or that kind of money. Anyway, he worked, he joined every organization that uh, politics. Okay. He joined organizations. He networked, he went to meetings. He did whatever he could to meet people. So when you say lucky, I understand what you're saying, but you have worked like a horse since the day that you probably entered middle school and knew some things that you wanted to do. So anyway, Oh, thank you. Look, I didn't feel I, I didn't feel like I didn't deserve it when when I went on on, on my break. But I, I definitely feel like, you know, if you've been working retail, struggling to make ends meet, 
you, you might not feel like you have that same uh, sort of opportunity. I, I think, um, you know, I was telling you about the, the reading that I've been doing uh, very slowly with, with Joseph Campbell, uh, who is this mythologist and uh, anthropologist who has studied religion and, and mythology. I think he died in the 80s. So the book that I'm reading was written in 1949. Uh, and essentially, one of the core sort of observations he makes about how religions teach people to live uh, is that they all sort of encourage uh, some sort of period of deep introspection uh, in your life where you turn your concerns for a short or maybe a long period of time for some period of time uh, from the outer world and the outer struggle and the momentum of all the things that you're doing uh, to just stopping for a second and being quiet and still uh, and, and listening to the thing that, that you want. Um, and so I think like, I had a friend that I was talking to the other day who had, you know, not six weeks to go travel, but he had a long weekend uh, where he went with his wife to a retreat and they did this sort of thing where they, they just meditated and thought about their life. And they ended up coming to a lot of uh, conclusions that, that brought a lot of clarity. Uh, and so um, I, I think everything is different for everyone, but like most things stem from the things that you value. And if you like value understanding yourself in a better way, then you will likely find a way to to spend that period kind of focusing within. Well, it's a matter of making the choices that you can make. I mean, right. we're all at a different place. Um, two of the most debilitating phrases that I hear people use are I can't and I have to. And oftentimes that's not true you know, that you can't and that you have to. When I left teaching and heard that must be nice, wish I could do that, um, I gave up, you know, I don't know if it was the best choice in the world, financially or, well, career-wise, I think, but um, it wasn't like we were just overflowing with money. I just knew that that's something that I needed to do. So we have to make those choices. Um, well, it, it, and I... I had a conversation like since I uh, kind of related to that, since I made it public that I was quitting, like a lot of people have reached out to me, you know, I've gained a decent network over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and a lot of people have reached out, people I haven't heard from uh, in a long time, kind of asking, okay, well, like what's going on? Why did you, like, what are you doing? Like it maybe is a bit abnormal, especially when I had a job that, you know, was by my own words, my dream job and, and well-respected all those words. Uh, wh why would you do that? Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things that was like most present in my mind as I like started to make that decision is the last time that I really took a big risk and a bet on myself was when I decided to, to go to this expensive college. And so uh, every step after that w was working hard for sure, but it was, there were incremental steps in the direction that I'd set out. And so I think, you know, like, I, I don't think I took in that big of a risk, right? Like I, I, I think I'm a, I have a lot of good opportunities on the land of my feet. Uh, but certainly mentally, and maybe that's the point, right? Is it can feel, like it's a huge risk 
and, and what it is, I think, is up to everyone. Uh, but it, it, quitting a job can feel like it's a huge risk. Um, but it's probably a smaller risk than it maybe may a risk for sure, but it might be a smaller risk than you think it is because what I found is right, like especially when you're doing something that you like or you're doing something that you've been doing for a long time, your sort of conception of yourself and your worth and your ego can be wrapped up in that whole thing. And so hmm. uh, probably a lot of the risk that you're thinking about or that I was thinking about uh, is an internal risk, right? Like, in, like it's mental risk. It's not like, am I gonna have a be able to pay for lunch tomorrow risk that's not right like and and just like to to put a finer point on it right like if i tried something and failed and somehow ran out of money and um like that was where i was at it, you know i i have a strong support network like i, I think i could probably go and, and live in one of the spare rooms uh, yeah, at, you at your house <laughs> right and but it, it, but it, to to continue to underscore that point right like i Thing. you know honestly when I think about that right now if I was if I was really trying something and I was like doing the thing that I cared about and wanted to do I, I don't think at this point that I'd feel embarrassed at all if I if I if I just needed to come home and regroup for a little point a little bit but so much of I, I think uh, you know at least mine or and, and people I know that your self-worth gets wrapped up in just like oh my god if you moved back in with your parents that would be like the most horrible thing and you're like okay well I, you know that's pretty common right with your generation now though right is what moving back home or not moving out to begin with for a period of time yeah much much sore well, it, more than it was with my so you know people who are listening out there you know we we know there's a generational difference here we talked about it last night. You know, people that be listening might be 20. They might be 60. And the 60-year-olds would be like, um, and by the way, we're talking about turning points and change. And right now we're focused on careers, but it still applies in many other ways. So the people who are in the 60s are probably like maybe 70s. I don't know. I'm almost, I'm inching up towards 60. So, but they would be, well, you don't quit a job unless you have another job and you need to just work hard and provide for your family. These millennials and young people just want to be happy. That's all they care about. You know, and the younger people are like, look, we want to have purpose in our work. We want to make a difference in the world. It's just, you know, it's a different, I don't know what my point was going there, but well, just but, moving but back home. That a, th that's an important point because I don't have kids. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have really any obligations. Uh, you know, I have student loans that I could pay back right now if I, I wanted to, but I'm kind of letting it hang out there. Um, but the, the the reason that this step was important to me was because, um, well, maybe I not maybe I definitely want to build a, a family, and I think building a family and means having, uh, you know building sort of balanced personal and, and professional and spiritual and mental habits, et, et cetera. But when I, like the specific sort of notion of moving home is maybe a thing that, that is sort of available to me in a dimension that, that I can, can sort of consider, and, and maybe other people could too, but I, I, like, I guess the point is there, maybe it's moving into a smaller house, right? Or maybe it's it, like there are all these sorts of things that maybe you kind of have mental blocks of, 
not not fully sort of understanding or articulating the trade-offs of, of the particular risks of the thing that you're doing because maybe some things are off the table we we do we like in our minds get married to this particular thought and we don't even know that we haven't let it go like for years part of a lot of my uh, thoughts around choices whether it's where we live, finances, work have been, but we need to have this house. We need to have this base for everybody to come to. We need to have these extra rooms. We need to have this. By the way, I'm not saying we're moving so that you can't come home. That's not what I'm saying. But I mean, eventually, I mean, that is not a have to. That is just something that I think I need to do, but it might be something I need to rethink at some point, you know, holding on to a, an enormous house with tons of extra space when no one comes here. It's a lot to care for that. There might come a point where that my thoughts on that changes. It's so a part of this, I think too, is knowing what you're thinking. A lot of people don't even pay any attention. We often just don't pay attention to what we're thinking. We don't even know what's going on up there. So you got to stop well, and figure that out. And we were, and I actually think that you're, I don't know why I keep saying it actually. I think that you're, you're, uh, apparently, <laughs> I think you're you're landing on a thing that's been really important to me in, in figuring this stuff out over the past few months, which is, you know, I started meditating and um, just the very basic concept of mindfulness is so, uh, it, it can be so simple, but can also be so profound is that like, you know, I, we were talking about me fasting and I've been fasting on and off uh, for about a month now and it's been going pretty well. At the end of a three day one now, I didn't tell anyone about um and I'm feeling good. Um, but the, w there are a lot of benefits to fasting. I think one of the most important ones, though, and I think it goes far beyond uh, sort of how you feel physically, is that you realize the world record for fasting is something like 342 days, right? The reason that our bodies have fat is because if we don't have food, we need spare energy, right? Like you can Did cut this. <laughs> yeah. But the and I'm sure that person was was pretty heavy, right? You, you like you yes. only have so much that start up, but right. But the point is, right? Like I, there were so many times in my life, like my entire life, right, where I get like a pang of hunger and be like, oh wow, I gotta eat or else I'm gonna starve. Uh, and like, yeah, you need food and you need nutrients and you uh, like need to like have a sort of like a healthy relationship with eating, but ultimately you're not going to starve if you don't skip lunch. Right. And, um, and so when you think about that and in the context of mindfulness, you kind of think, okay, well, what are all of the other things that I have just taken for granted as this sort of cause and effect thought thing that just aren't true. And so maybe it, maybe it is the assumptions that you have about your life. Maybe it's, um, like overreacting when you get like the impulse of being angry. Maybe it's uh, overreacting is the wrong word. Maybe just sub, like sub, sub, subserviating yourself to that feeling rather than just realizing it's a feeling like every other feeling and trying to understand why it's happening. Uh, and I think that's been really good about meditation. It's been good about fasting, but it's been a really good tool to kind of examine, okay, well, what are the, what are the actual things that, uh, that are driving this type of decision making? Changes and turning points in life, you just said like about anger. And so much of what 
I talk about because it's been important to me is the things you said it earlier about work is the things we wrap our identity up in. And so there's a person who's in my family and my life that says things like, well, I'm just an angry person. That's the way I am. There's nothing I can do about it. And they really believe that. And until that belief system is changed, then there will be no. And part of that is getting your identity in something like anger, because like if you say something to me and I don't respond in anger, well, then does that mean I'm weak? Does that mean you got me? Does that mean you won? Does that mean, you know, there's all these belief systems, no matter what the change that you need to make, I got to hold on to the house. You, I got to, um, you know, keep this, this socially high level job. Um, I can't control my anger. I can't. And then it just binds us up and not being able to make a change. What were we talking about the other day? Uh, the sort of feeling when you expect someone to react a certain way and then you expect like to have, like to, to feel sort of superiority over them based off of the way that they react and they don't react that way. And then you feel like they, they react in an unexpected way. And then you sort of feel like, oh crap. Like I really was, I was looking forward to being superior to them, but now I'm not. That wasn't the other day. That was, oh yeah, I know when that was and I know what that was about. But, but yeah, there is that. I don't think we even realize that it's superiority. Yes. I was telling you there was sometimes there's something that irritates us and we, we don't speak up about it. And if the person who's doing that irritating thing makes a change, then we lose our, we lose our moral superiority. We lose our position. We didn't even realize we had a position, but we did have a position and it allows us to, I could call and talk to you about that particular situation that was upsetting me. Rant, 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 rant. You know, we could bond over it. We could, humans do, they bond over negative things more so than they bond over positive things. It releases more hormones and there we are. And plus, so now we're together and we're connected, which is what humans want. And then that other person is out. And then as soon as that person changes, then we lose that. I lose my place. Yeah. We lose our connection. There's a lot of risks. It, Changing can be hard. It becomes, it becomes like a foundation of maybe part of, of your ego or how you think about the world or is just like thinking, well, because you're trying to, and maybe that's part of like the house or the socially acceptable job or any of those things, it, it really comes down to um, like where, where you, where you attain sort of your source of like ego and, and self-worth, right? If you, um, I, I think because uh, just the nature of humanity, we compare ourselves to other people all the time. Ultimately, because and I think I said this, this is another sort of like abstract, wacky thing. But like, I think uh, maybe one of the single greatest leaps of faith that people have to take in the world is that other people exist and they have common experiences to them. Right. That it, this isn't just like a dream or, a you know, a, a simulation or something like you're a real person with a soul. The stakes are the same for you uh, than they are for me. Uh, and because of that, then that's a pretty strong, I think, way to stay grounded in reality. And then because of that, I think then you're like, okay, well, if these people are just like me, then they, then I, 
like there's some this this like ineffable sense within me that needs to be better than them right if it's like the same genes the same brain the same everything then and that's almost like an evolutionary thing right where it's just like okay i, I need to, to be better to that person but then it, it almost then becomes that your ability to uh like judge and assess yourself becomes way over dependent on on sort of how you compare to other people well you real well two things you realize this relates to my what i talk about in stress right so there's a test how does that relate <laughs> quiz your kid on your phd dissertation see if they well, I mean, I, I think the way that we we use language and talk about how we compare to other people influences our sense of self. So is that the answer to the test? It's it's the thing that I talk about, which is bigger than just stress, is that we decide as a society what behaviors, what um, what ways of life are acceptable, and then we want to fit in, and so when it comes to stress. So let's say that that's the change somebody's listening needs to make is they need to which underpin so many things, but they need to get rid of the stress in their lives, which I hate the word by the way, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. But so if I sit down with my friends and they're all talking about how difficult their life is, how stressed out. And I'm thinking that you might encounter this during your pause period before you move on to the next stage of your career. So you're sitting around and everybody's talking about, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out. You know, I'm not sleeping. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And then if you say, you know, well, I went to bed early last night, slept nine hours, then what are those other people going to say? Must be nice. Must be nice. Wish I could do that. Must be. And so what happens then is you feel left out of the group. You're not a part of that group anymore. And so I'm not saying this will happen, but it's fairly likely that you won't contribute that to the conversation again next time because you don't want to be ostracized. It's oh, about I, I think we had a we, we had a discussion a few days ago where we used where I used the phrase, which is a little trace, but like misery loves company. And we did talk about that. And I think that's a thing. And we talked about something related to that yesterday. And I think that I guess conversely, right, when you cease to or you lessen your uh, reliance on sort of how other people feel or how you feel about other people or your superior or superiority over people or whatever um, then it, because like most people are if you kind of advance in that way then most people are probably a little bit behind you then you sort of I think definitionally lessen your connection with those people like on that level uh, and because that's actually what you're doing, right? Is you're saying my, my connection is this base in my ego that I like devote to you or to those people. It's like saying I, like I had this part of my brain and my, the, every, that I was, whether consciously or subconsciously, I was just thinking about that all the time. Uh, thinking about how you would feel about this or you as a, concrete person or you as just an abstract like lots of people thinking about the expectations of other people uh and, and etc and when you remove that you you um you 
definitely you're just you, that's explicitly what you're doing you're just removing that connection from from those people and i think that it would be weird if that didn't manifest in how you're related with those people because you've just removed yeah. a big chunk of how you can have conversations with people you have so you have to figure out how to still maintain that connection um and related to that in the second part of what i was going to say a minute ago is because you're talking about getting your your worth earlier you said you know getting your worth we sometimes get it in our job and and then we talked about uh, depending on what other people think of you and how you fit in so if not that then where should where should we decide what our worth is i mean i know for me it's biblical and if i need to decide whether i'm living the kind of life i need to live i'm being the kind of person i need to be, then that is my source, you know, is biblical. I'll go to the Bible and look, and those are sort of my guidelines. Um, I don't know. What do you think? How should we decide if we're doing okay? I think that, well, I'm trying to figure that out, but I think that, like, if you use as, like, a base premise that that this notion that other people are real they have the same souls that you do. They're competing. Uh, competing is the wrong word. But, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of existing in the same sort of day-to-day -day existence as you. Uh, then the first thing that that should give you is just this overwhelming sense of empathy with other people rather than like trying to, uh, uh, trying to compete against them or trying to, to like base your ego on, on how you, you can either say, okay, like, I'm racing or competing against these people, or you can say, okay, this is like just the thing that we're doing and we're all doing it together. And so I think I, like on a micro and a macro scale, and, and I think this is super compatible with faith is just like, you should base how you're doing based on the connections that you have with other people, the contributions that you make to their life, both on a micro, so your friends scale, but also macro, what impact are you making on the world? I think it, like, part of, I think one, part of all, all those really difficult feelings that come around feeling like you're competing with people or feeling like you have to have this job to have worth or feeling like any of those things is just, a, a, I think, at least from personal experience, like an overwhelming feeling of isolation that you feel mm -hmm. like you're in it alone or you feel like you are, like, it's just you against the world. Like, how many phrase, times have you heard that phrase used? So I think, and I'm still figuring it out, but uh, I think valuing your, your, the, the connections that you have with people every day, um, which is both, you know, your family and your friends and, you know, the, the people that you made in the world, but then also like kind of coming up, and I think different people will have different ways of thinking about this, but coming up with a framework or a, point of view about how on a sort of a level outside of just the people that you meet every day, how you can have impact in the world. So what you just said a minute ago was like huge. Um, said if you, if you come to realize that you are living in the same space as all these other people, we're basically all doing the same thing. The first thing that should happen is you should have an overwhelming sense of empathy. I was like, wow. And do you? I'm trying. Yeah, I, I think like part of being mindful, as an example, 
when you get into like a fight with your friend <laughs> is instead of saying, I'm angry, this person sucks, why are they being such an I was about to use a word we can't use in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Don't do it. Right. To stop and try and consider what what might be happening in their lives to consider how what you know what you might have been doing that that might not have been great uh i yeah. i think ultimately empathy is a big word and a big concept uh but but i i guess actually i i almost committed a tautology there by saying that the first thing that you get when you realize that other people are living in the same world as you having the same experiences an overwhelming sense of empathy because what i described is an overwhelming sense of empathy right is it, that that is the right. definition of the word which is just to say okay like people more or less behave in using the same exact tools and constraints that, that i do and let me try and be a little bit more thoughtful about uh, how I judge them and maybe try not to judge them as much and maybe uh, try to be just a little bit more open to the fact that, you know, it's not you against them. It's you two together. It is the person who falls alone, can't get up and you fall with a friend and a three stranded cord is tighter and all that stuff is so true. And I just, I just finished doing a webinar. What? Oh, it's like the, well, it was a very long quote from the West Wing, but it was basically like, you know, guy falls into a hole, you know, three people come and give him a ladder and a rope, but none of them are sufficient. The last guy jumps in and the guy says, what are you doing, man? He goes, I've been here before. I know the way out. Mm, uh, yeah, you've told me that before. I like that. It's one of my favorite quotes from the West Wing. <laughs> well, the West Wing does have some good stuff. Oh, I, I just did a webinar, a communication webinar for a school group. And one of the things we talked about was assigning motives to other people's behavior and using the word attitude, you know, about other people's behavior, saying they have a bad attitude. And because attitude means the way that you think or feel, we really can't judge other people's attitude. We can only know what they, what they say and what they do. We can't know what they think. We can't know what people think ever even if they tell you doesn't mean you really know what they think ever well because like and this keeps varying the line between like just like a, a general conversation about life and a very like I know. <laughs> philosophy right but it's like you you could never know what a person thinks because your entire way of conceiving the world is based on the basis of what you think and so how could you so that's why it's sort of a leap of faith, right? It's just to say, you know, this person probably feels the same way that I do. Although I, even if, even if I had like a wire connected between my brain and theirs, I still don't know if I really understand that because how could I? No, you can't. Well, here's what, like, I'm thinking if people are listening and we're talking about change and turning points, um, like what, like, I'll start, you know, what, what would we say, what are the most important things that we can pass along to other people based on what we have learned or what we're learning? And I, I remember I tell this in seminars, Tim asked me one day, cause so, you know, I'm remarried and Tim and I've been married for almost 16 years. And so he doesn't know the me before 
you know, the mental hospital and some of the changes. So I was extremely angry and just not a fun person to be around. So he doesn't, I'm not saying I'm super fun now, but he doesn't know that that person. So he asked me this really like a question I had never thought about one day. He said, well, what made you decide to change? And I was like, well, I went in the mental hospital. I don't know that it was a choice, but it was a choice. I mean, it was absolutely a choice to change. Um, in my case, so it was mental illness, but still every single day is a choice. You know, I don't have great genetics. You know, this, I try to protect you from some of the family things because you have some genes too. everybody. It's so I, I, I deal with that and probably will for the rest of my life, but it's so worth it. You know? And so I think for me, if I was giving people advice, like for any sort of, when you come to a turning point, you need to make a change, whether it's a job whether it's healing from a physical or mental ailment, whether it's deciding you want to communicate differently and speak up to people or not be bullying when you talk to people, whatever it is, you know, I think it's those daily choices and reminding yourself every day that it really is a decision. Um, using the I can't and I have to are so debilitating. Instead, changing that to this is the best decision for me today. You know, this is the best decision for me this week or this month. And then I also believe we talked about this yesterday, um, going through these processes and saying, this is what I need. And this is what I'm doing. Reminding, you know, I really believe that we're put here on this, you know, we're created and we're put here on this planet to serve one another. <clears throat> and I don't mean, uh, doormat, uh, only take care of other people and not yourself. But I really believe that when we take a focus off of ourselves and it, this is kind of what you've been saying and realize that we're all in this together. And when you get out there and you help and you serve and you, you focus on other people's needs, then it takes the focus sometimes off yourself. And then you're able to make those changes while at the same time, helping the people in your world and helping the world overall to grow and be a better place. So what would you, and that's very short, but what would you say, you're learning, let's say someone wants to leave their job, they need to make a change, what what would you tell them? I, I think that the biggest thing is like, so let's say that you're like 50 pounds overweight. So like, and making a change to like lose 50 pounds, it's a big, big change. Huge. Uh, and I think, you know, the nature of goal setting, which is to say, I want to lose 50 pounds is that you set sort of a stake in the ground and say, this is the place that I want to go. Um, but there's a tendency, I think, to sort of think of everything between now and then is this sort of like necessary, but ultimately unimportant, like overhead in the journey between now and then. And, and not to be too cliched, but I think what I've learned is like learning to just appreciate and enjoy every moment of the stuff that you're doing is like almost more important than getting there itself. And, you know, it's where the cliche comes in, but like life is pretty short and the bigger that your goals get, the sort of bigger the t temporal, the time gap between now and sort of like the bigger the sort of perceived difficulty or maybe real difficulty of, of doing that thing is and so 
I think if you just are focused on what it's going to be like when you do X Mm -hmm. or what it would be like when you do X, uh, you just miss out on a lot of, of good stuff. So I, I was talking to, um, another friend who called me yesterday looking for a job, not looking for a job with me, but they're looking for a job and they're not having a lot of success. We sort of, they hadn't done like a ton of networking, but they have like a pretty solid network. And so we were kind of just trying to get at why would you not be doing that? Um, And I think that, you know, there's probably a little bit of social anxiety around networking, right? Reaching out to people and uh, wanting to help or wanting to, like ask for their help maybe doesn't seem like uh, like a particularly great thing to do. But ultimately I was like, man, you should just enjoy that. Like you should do it and you should enjoy it because you just get to go have coffee and conversations with like lots of people you haven't seen in like a long time. And and I, that's advice I'm giving myself, which is like, okay, I have this period of time where nominally I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do, but that's not the only purpose of this period of time. And I was just thinking that I'm actually really enjoying all the conversations I'm having with people. And so that in itself is like a thing that I should like be happy about. So uh, all that to say, like everything can be enjoyable. I think learning to focus on what's enjoyable and why it's a good thing and ultimately just living in the moment and uh you know there there are a bunch of moments especially like this is a very like buddhist thing but you know like when you know when i'm like running or something and i'm like in pain and i want to stop i'm like okay well like what what about this is like like what about this is wanting me to wish that it's over right and like you kind of just saying okay i can deal with that thing but like what about this is actually pretty fun well, the music is good. It's nice outside, right? Like I uh, know that I'm going to feel really, I already feel, despite like the pain, I already feel like endorphins. Like the, And I, I think in any situation, you can sort of, when you're kind of pushing towards something, you can kind of do that. And that's a good way of understanding of not like, I guess that in a sort of Buddhist sense, it's like looking not not hating not trying to like dismiss and hate the pain but also not like looking longingly at the goal just be like this is and I enjoy it and it's fine we've talked a little bit about that before too like with well two things I'm thinking about remind me anxiety and my early flight tomorrow but with the anxiety um, some amount of anxiety is normal right I mean an anxiety disorder and debilitating is not, but if you have something coming up, it's new, you might have this level of anxiety. But to me, it means such a bad thing that experiencing it feels awful until I remind myself that it's okay to experience it. Like in my mind, I'm calling it abnormal. I'm calling it, I shouldn't feel this. This is wrong. It's not. So if I remind myself, then that's good. And the second thing I think about is reminding ourselves not to dread things. Um, and this, this is simple, but it just happened like this morning. So I have a six o'clock flight tomorrow. We live almost an hour from the airport. You know that I'm telling them, which means I'll have to get up at probably three 45. And I'm, so all week long, I've been like, Oh, Friday, I gotta get up at three 45. I gotta, 
I got to pack everything and have it downstairs because when I get up, I don't want to wake the dog because then I'd have to. So I'm going through this whole scenario in my mind. Well, I need to try to fall asleep early. And today I was like, oh my gosh. So I won't get as much sleep as I want for one night. You know, stop dreading it. Just reminding ourselves to not dread things all the time, especially if these are just momentary part of the journey, maybe not fun, but also not super destructive. Um, Because tomorrow we'll get here, the alarm will go off, I will be perfectly fine. I will enjoy the flight, I get to go speak, and it'll be great. So well, and and also, I think you're, you're already pretty good at this, but I had this thought this morning when it was like early, and I didn't want to go to the gym. Okay, like, this is annoying and the, the workout's going to be good and stuff. But also every time you get up and do something like this, you build a little bit more of mental resilience so that you can like be better at the bigger things in the future. So I think there's like a, there's an upside to find in anything. Yeah. Little, it, little bits. Of, you probably shouldn't do it. What? If there isn't, you probably shouldn't do it. If there isn't adversity, you probably shouldn't do it. If there isn't an upside to the thing that you're doing, you oh. probably shouldn't do it. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. Even the bad behaviors we continue to engage in must have an upside or we wouldn't do them. Right. Right. Well, maybe that's the point, right? It's like there's like, yeah, if there was no upside to anything, it would be completely valueless. But yeah, that's a much different topic. Yeah, it is a different topic. Well, you have anything else for these fine folks? Uh, no, this has been fun. Yeah, it has been fun. And that's our time for today. I sure hope you learned something. I hope you will pass the show link along to friends. Uh, You can find the show notes with the links we talked about and get information if you would like for me to speak at your next event at TammyWest.com. The monthly $50 Amazon card giveaway will continue to come from leaving a comment on that blog. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal, I really hope that you will renew your thoughts every single day adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and others, and that you will make positive mental and emotional choices every single day. And until next time, consider yourself hugged.